my friends, there is plenty of grace and love and mercy in Jesus Christ to hold us together with him and with one another. There is no shortage of the grace and the mercy of our Lord. In the passage of Scripture I read from 1 Timothy in the first chapter, Paul invents a word. You do not find it anywhere except in the New Testament. It is not in classical Greek. This brilliant mind invented a word to describe the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his grace and his love. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. There's the word, more than abundant. It is one word in the Greek language that's never used until you get to the New Testament. It is a surplus. It is an overflowing. It is an abundance beyond anything that we could think or imagine. There is grace more than abundant with faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying here that if that grace can be sufficient for me, a violent aggressor, a blasphemer, a man who killed Christians and opposed the church, if that grace can be sufficient for me and can work in my life, it can be sufficient for you and work in your life. There's plenty of grace to go around to everybody. It doesn't get parceled out, portioned out, rationed out. There is no shortage of the grace of God. Now, we live in a day of shortages. That's obvious. Having financial problems, having energy problems at one time or another. Uh, some of us grew up during World War II when we had real rationing. Uh, do you remember, some, how many of you remember the rationing days of World War II? A lot of you do. Let me tell you, those of you uh, who don't know about that, in, when the war began in 1941, I was home until 43, and then I went off to the service, but suddenly they, they started rationing. They rationed gasoline. You remember you had an A sticker or a B sticker or a C sticker on your car, and you got a little book, and you couldn't buy gas. You could have all the money in the world, but you couldn't buy gas unless you had a book there with some stamps in it. You could only buy so much. Uh, the same was true of tires. Uh, tires were right, Bill. Tires were rationed. Uh, sugar was rationed. And you had sugar stamps, and I can remember my mother and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles accumulating sugar stamps so they could get enough sugar to do some baking of special cakes and pies and all when uh, the young prodigal was going to come home from the service for a, for a furlough. Sugar was rationed. Shoes were rationed. Do you remember that? Holes were rationed. Do you women remember that? We men are not supposed to notice such things, but I, I noticed such things. Uh, there was all kinds of rationing because there were shortages. What Paul is saying here in this marvelous passage of Scripture is that there is no shortage of the grace of God. There is more than enough for all of your needs, more than enough for all of your problems, more than enough for all of the people of the world. There is more than enough grace for our salvation. You don't have to collect ration stamps in a spiritual sense. There is a kind of theology that says, look, if you're going to get the grace of God, you've got to accumulate the stamps of good works or religion or Bible reading or Bible memorization. Now, wait a minute. You're not going to get the love of God without something on your part. 
You've got to do something. You've got to get the book. You've got to get an A, B, or C stamp on the front of your spiritual automobile and hope that maybe you'll get enough stamps along the way, enough good works, accumulate enough of those that you'll be able somehow with those spiritual stamps to purchase enough of the grace of God to make life work for you day by day. My friend, that is not the New Testament doctrine of salvation. There are no stamps. There is no rationing. There is no shortage of the grace of God. All that God is in Christ Jesus is available to every one of us free for nothing. It is wrong to think. Look, look at the New Testament. Jesus did not tell people to get well before he would heal them. Jesus didn't tell people to get moral and to get religious before he would forgive them and save them. You don't get rid of the darkness in a room and then bring in the light. You don't get rid of hunger and then start eating bread. Hunger leaves because bread comes into your life. Darkness leaves because light comes into the room. Salvation comes and sin leaves when Christ comes into our life and he comes totally and unconditionally to any man and to every man for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's for everybody. It's not being parceled out. The church is not the faucet that sort of parcels out the grace of God. You, you know that you have the hose hooked up the faucet in your yard. You can turn it on and you can just spray water all over the front yard, but you can also take that hose and you can crimp it and nothing will come out because you've got your hand on it. Now, there's some people in the religious world who think they've got their hand on the hose and they're going to let it be parceled out if you're a good Baptist or if you're a good Catholic or if you agree with their doctrinal interpretation of the Bible or if you live up to their standards, they might let a little trickle out to you. My friend, nobody has their hand on the faucet of grace. It comes pouring out through Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man. It is a free, full gift to everybody. You know, there is another, there's another thing slipping into some evangelical, even Baptist church doctrine in some places that you need to be aware of. There are people who are saying, you are saved by grace. That is right. You are saved by grace. But once you become a Christian, once you accept the free gift of God's love, you stay saved by works. You get in by grace. You stay in by works. There's a lot of that going around, my friend, a lot of it in our city. You are saved by grace. You get into the love of God by grace, but you Stay there by works, by not doing this, by doing that, by obeying this, obeying me, saying yes, saying no, I have it all worked out, and there are certain things that you have got to do if you're going to stay in grace. Paul said, Are you going to begin in grace and be completed, perfected, and fulfilled by the law? Listen to his answer. God Forbid. God forbid. We are in by grace. We stay by grace. And we will be with God forever by grace. 
and grace alone. You say, well, what are works then? Not to get grace, but to express it to other people. Not to receive salvation, but to share salvation. Let me use a, uh, an example that's very appropriate for me right now. We have been in uh, Israel and the Holy Land for about two and a half weeks. Part of me is still there because my body is not yet functioning on San Antonio time. I wake up at 3 o'clock this morning. I've been doing that almost every other morning. Some mornings I've made it to 4.30. 3 o'clock in the morning here is 10 o'clock in Hungary, 11 o'clock in Israel. There's a part of me that just cannot get acclimated. I'm working on it. I wake up at 3 o'clock this morning and I got up and I felt just terrific and Martha didn't want to talk. <laughs> Mike and Harriet and Steve and Debbie and Lisa, nobody was ready for a party. I said, come on, let's go. I went outside, called more lives across the street, Bob Lotus lives up the street. Nobody was willing to do anything. I didn't even have a newspaper to read. So I went back to bed and tried to sleep for a little while, got up at about 4.15, still no party. I am working on it. I, I don't take naps in the afternoon. I'm doing everything I can to tell myself, Bunger, get into the flow of life here. Get into the rhythm of life here because it's going to be more fun and you're going to be more effective. Now, simply because part of me is still operating on the rhythm of Europe and the time of Europe, are they going to deport me from the United States? Are they, are they going to say that because you're not living like we live and on the schedule that we're on and doing everything that we're doing at the time we're doing it, you need to go back where you came from? No, they're going to help acclimate me to the rhythm, to the spirit, to the mood, to the timing of the world in which I now live. Apply that to your spiritual life. All of us have come from the far country. And we come into the Father's house and the Father's home. And a lot of our rhythms and a lot of our timing and a lot of our reactions are still conditioned by the far country. And that doesn't change overnight. And the reason you want to change it is not so you can stay in because God's not going to come in and kick you out of his house, not going to exile you to the far country. The reason you want to do it is because you want to get in on all of the joy and all of the fun. You don't want to be alone in your own commitment to the Lord. You want to be involved with other people. So the motivation for acclamation is attitudinal, not salvation, not security even, but expression and opportunity along with other people to express the love and the grace that God has given to us fully and abundantly so that we can be in Him by grace, stay in Him by grace, and live by grace. Paul asked the question, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, how did you receive Him? By grace. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. You received Him by grace, you walk in grace. You received Him by faith, we walk in faith. And we are motivated inwardly by this desire to get our own clock, our own time, our own mood, our own mode in, in concert with, in harmony with the kingdom of God. There is sufficiency of God's grace for our salvation. And there is more than enough of God's grace for us to be his servants. Listen to what Paul says. And yet for this reason, 
I found mercy? In order that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience. This happened to me and happened to you, not just so we'll feel good and not just to make us feel better. That is a byproduct of it. All of this grace and love that's come to us in Christ Jesus has come to it so it can move through us to other people. As an example, for those who would believe in him for eternal life. My friends, I don't believe that the world would ever have accepted the fact that God loves each of us individually and unconditionally if Jesus Christ hadn't come in the flesh. I don't believe we'd have ever accepted that. That if someone came along and theoretically, philosophically stated, God loves everybody, irrespective of who they are, unconditionally and everlastingly, God loves you. We wouldn't have believed that. And God knew that. And that's why he came in a person to live that life of unconditional love. He demonstrated it in his flesh. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And my dear friends, the world is never going to believe that God loves them unconditionally unless that same spirit of the living Christ is embodied in our flesh individually and collectively as a church. We are the body of Christ. The spirit of Jesus Christ is encapsulated in his body, in his people, individually and collectively, and the world in which you and I live will never accept the fact that Jesus Christ loves them unconditionally unless we love them unconditionally. The world will never accept the fact that God's love is universal if our love is provincial, if our love is conditional. How can a church practicing a conditional love preach an unconditional love of God? You can't. They're contradictory. And so that same unconditional love of Christ that was totally, completely, and perfectly embodied in His Son, Jesus Christ, needs to be embodied in us. We imperfect people. His Spirit needs to fill us, and we are here to be an example to other people about the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a frightened world you know that. We live in a fragmented world. We live in a fighting world, frustrated world. People are lonely and detached. I grew up in a home that didn't have central heat. We had, uh, we had stoves. And uh, on cold mornings like this morning, my father was always the first one up, and he would light the fire in three rooms. In the bathroom, I had two bedrooms, my brothers and mine, and my mother's and father's, and my, they, he'd light the fire in the bathroom, he'd light the fire in our room, my brother's in my room, because that was kind of our, our den. We didn't have a den or a family room, it was sort of that bedroom. And then he'd light the fire in the kitchen. And uh, during cold weather in Dallas, unless we had company, we never heated the rest of the house. 
We had a fireplace in the living room and stoves there in the dining room and the other bedroom. But we never lighted those. And you go from the kitchen to the bedroom, man, you'd go through the North Pole there for a little station on it. How many of you had a similar experience in your home? Well, a lot of you did. So, naturally, we congregated where it was warm. We'd get together in the kitchen and uh, the adjacent little uh, breakfast area. We didn't eat in the dining room unless we had company. We heated up then, but otherwise leave it cold. Get in the kitchen, the breakfast room, and then we'd get in our room, and on real cold mornings, we'd all dress in there. And you know what? We got to know each other pretty well. We talked a lot because we were together. We were together in a spirit of warmth. Now, I'm not decrying uh, modern conveniences. I'm all for them 100%, but we have central heat now. Everybody can go to any part of the house, and it's warm. May not be anybody else there. Everybody may be in another room. But we don't have that kind of emotional warmth that we had when physical conditions not only forced but enabled us to be together. So we don't get our warmth from each other as much as we should or could. And then along came television. Uh, we, uh, you know, before television, during radio, we used to talk. My mother and father knew how to talk. My brother and I learned how to talk by listening to them talk. And, and we would talk around those fires. Now on television, man, you don't talk. I mean, hey, be quiet, listening. And, well, maybe we talk during commercials, and yet some of the commercials are better than a lot of the programs, so we want to watch the commercials. So television has interrupted conversation. Not only that, but over 80% of the homes in America now have two or more television sets. Everybody can go into their own room with their own TV set and get warm and listen to that thing all day long and never communicate with anybody else. Never have any warmth, never have any communication. Listen, my friend, that's the kind of world we live in and the church of Jesus Christ, Trinity Baptist Church in this place over which you and I have some responsibility and some leadership, this must be a place where people can find warmth and talk because we're not going to find it anywhere else and if we don't find it in the warming atmosphere of Jesus Christ and the controlling atmosphere of His Spirit and the open atmosphere of His conversational position, then we are not going to find it anywhere. And there is more reason for us to be doing what we're doing and doing it more effectively and more energetically and more enthusiastically than ever before is because of the fragmentation that's taking place in our world, the isolation that's going on in homes and neighborhoods and schools. The message of Jesus Christ is to be that warming, unifying force that brings us together and gives us life and meaning and purpose and assurance and comfort and peace. I received a letter this past week that I want to read to you. Now, if the lady who wrote it is here and recognizes her stationery, I want you to know, of course, I'm not going to call your name. Dated January the 5th, there's a word in here about Dick Tillery. Most of you know Dick Tillery. If you do not, Dick's active in our church, and he is the director of our 
Alpha Home Ministries, our home for women alcoholics, which this church has uh, sponsored for 25 years or more. I want you to listen. Dear Dr. Fan, tomorrow I celebrate one year of sobriety with God, you, and Dick Tillery to thank. In December of 1986, I called you at home. I was new to San Antonio again after a 20-year absence. I was a member of Trinity before moving. Your inspirational spots on television are what made me think to call you. My alcoholic despair was absolute. I wanted to die. You talked with me, prayed with me, and told me about Alpha Home. By the grace of God, I was able to get into Alpha Home, and there I learned to live sober, think sober, and had a spiritual awakening. My life is so wonderful now, Dr. Fanning. I have my husband and family back, a good job where I'm heavily relied upon and I can be counted on. I have back my self-respect, and most importantly, a relationship with God I was sure I'd never find. I attend church at Trinity, and I always stop and listen to your spots and have never failed to be uplifted. Here is one life they saved. Don't ever stop them. Thank you, Dr. Fanning, for giving me back my life. Now, I know very well, and she knows very well, the source of her life. It's not me, and it's not Dick Tillery. The order of the first sentence is very important. Tomorrow I celebrate one year of sobriety with God, you, and Dick Tillery, and you, to thank. We wouldn't have Alpha Home if you didn't give money. We wouldn't have a seminary in Budapest being built if you didn't give money, if you didn't pray if you didn't care. You see, there is no powerful, more powerful message in the world than the message of kindness and love and compassion. And that's what we're here trying to do. And we can't do it without everybody. Everybody's praying, everybody's encouraging, everybody's giving, everybody's sharing. There's more than enough, more than enough for everybody. Let's get it to them. Let's get the word out. Let's share the good news. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That we, through his poverty, might be made rich. We're all rich in grace. More than enough to share with others. Most of us in this room are rich by the standards of the world materially. God has blessed us 
and wants to bless the world with this unconditional love, this warming, saving, redeeming message of Christ through us, through the Dick Tilleries, through the television spots, through the choirs, through the children's programs, through the counseling, through education, through missions, through recreation, all of that, a way of sharing the love of God. As Paul said, as an example of what God can do. And then he concludes, now to the king eternal, invisible, immortal, the true God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The glory for it all, the praise for it all, is to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the true God, to him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, they're meeting in Budapest right now. It's an evening worship time there. Steve and Debbie and I were in a service there at night just as you were here at the same hour, seven hours difference. We prayed for you. You pray for them. I know you have and will. They're having services there right now. They sang an invitation hymn. They're going to sing their invitation hymn for us. We brought it back on record. I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to listen to your Hungarian brothers and sisters. Saying, just as I am without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. The message is the same whether you're behind the Iron Curtain in Budapest, Hungary, or trapped in alcoholism in San Antonio. God is sufficient for all of your needs. Just as you are, you come. Would you just remain seated? No one standing, no one moving. As in the early service this morning, people stood and came forward, making decisions for Christ. You come, stand to your feet wherever you are, accept Christ, come to move your membership today, come to rededicate your life, come for prayer. Just as you are, there is grace sufficient for all of your needs. We invite you to be a part of a church that invites you to come just as you are. And stand and come.
Father, we thank you for the privilege of hearing our brothers and sisters in Budapest sing the universal message of your unconditional love. We thank you that that message encompasses the globe. We pray, dear Father, that we in this place, to this city and to these people, will be faithful in the ministering and the proclamation and the teaching, the application of your unconditional love to our world. We thank you for these decisions. Bless the offering that is given to support and further the work of grace in our world. We do ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.